The Holy Gospel, according to St. John from the second chapter, glory to you, O Lord. Our Gospel this morning is found on page 1648 in your pew Bible. John 2, verses 13 through 25. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. And then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. For we know that nothing good comes from any other source. We, um, we, need, we need to be careful. Why? Well, it's just a good thing to do. But today, we need to be careful because it could appear that Jesus is two different people. In last week's gospel, which was Mark 8, and in verse 33, we heard, we read that Jesus rebuked Peter, and he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind of things of God, but on things of 
man. And then at another time, Jesus went on a, a rant against the scribes and the Pharisees. And among other things, he called them, he called them children of hell. He called them blind fools. He called them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He called them serpents, vipers, and murderers. That's all in Matthew 23. So in today's gospel, we read about Jesus braiding a whip and driving merchants out of the temple. Now in contrast to this Jesus, there is the Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. The Jesus that taught in Matthew 5, 38 through 45, he said this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn and offer them the other one also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And he said, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That is so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Okay. On the other hand, in contrast to that Jesus, today's gospel seems to show us a Chuck Norris kind of Jesus. A Chuck Norris Jesus who comes to cause chaos in the temple. And then on the other hand, on the teachings from the Sermon of the Mount, we seem to be shown a, a Mr. Rogers, hey neighbor, kind of Jesus. Won't you call me neighbor? Which one is it? A person could get confused about Jesus, his teachings, and his work if we are not careful, if we're not careful to understand what is happening here. I, I can't believe I just did my very bad Fred Rogers impersonation, and I mentioned Chuck Norris in a sermon. But I did. All right. So here's a little background information that'll help us understand the reason why Jesus was so angry that he would 
weave together a cord and whip. There was a, a special place in the temple. And on the grounds, that place was called the court of the Gentiles. Now, there were many places in the temple that were off limits to Gentiles. But one area of the temple that was set aside was this court for the Gentiles. And so anyone who loved God, regardless of his origin, they could come to the court of the Gentiles and they could worship God there in that place. At the dedication of the first temple, the first temple, Solomon prayed these words. You can find it in Second Chronicles chapter 6. He writes this, When a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, a Gentile, comes from a far country for the sake of your great name to worship God and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when he comes and prays towards this house. Hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. And Isaiah wrote these words in Isaiah 56. He wrote this, The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These, it's a promise from the Lord, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. The court of the Gentiles was a place where anyone could come and find solitude and peace in the presence of God. Okay, can you get the idea of this court? It's quiet, prayerful, respectful. Now, here's the thing. Jesus steps into the court of the Gentiles, and it sounded and it smelled more like a livestock sales yard than a place of solitude, of peace, and of reverence. God's holy house seemed to be more like a Costco a Costco, when there's a run on toilet paper and bottled water. It was more like that than a place for prayer and meditation. And there was banking. And there was marketing and merchandising. And they were keeping God's gift with all of this away from people. 
And one of the many things that we can see and hear from reading the Bible is that our Father in heaven, God, takes action when someone or something prevents his people from receiving his gifts. Jesus, Jesus is God, amen? So we should expect Jesus to take action when his people are not able to receive his gifts. Jesus spoke against the scribes and the Pharisees for giving their people opinions instead of God's gift that he had entrusted to the chiefs, priests, and Pharisees and scribes. Jesus scolded. He scolded Peter because Peter was trying to stop Jesus by giving the greatest gift of all. Jesus took action in the temple because his people were not able to receive God's gifts. Now, when God's people are not able to receive God's gifts, Jesus responds. He takes action against those who block the gifts. And Jesus warned those who would block his gifts with these words in Mark 9. Whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, to commit sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone tied around his neck and be thrown into the sea. So given the serious nature of this warning, perhaps we should examine ourselves on a regular basis. Have we? Have we ever prevented God's people from receiving God's gifts? in God's house? And it is sad to read in today's gospel the reaction of the Jewish authorities. You know, they should have been grateful that Jesus cleared out the merchants and the money changers. They should have never let this situation Take root. In fact, the first time that a vendor came in and, and asked for permission to sell his wares in the temple courts, you know, get the permit, they should have said no. But they didn't. Instead, we read that they got angry with Jesus. How sad is that? They, they questioned him. The authorities the brood of vipers, the whitewashed tombs, the liars, the murderers, you know, that he referred to before. Those guys, they questioned God with skin on, and they said, what right? <laughs> what right? And what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus responded with one of those answers, you know, the ones that Nobody understood until after he died and after he rose from the dead. He answered them this, Destroy this temple, and in three days 
I will raise it up. Now John himself tells us that it was only after Jesus rose from the dead that his disciples understood that Jesus meant himself when he said destroy this temple. Jesus was saying this, destroy me and I will rise from the dead in these days, in three days. And with these words, Jesus is saying, I am, I am the Christ. I am God. I am the Son of God. Now Christ's words are more than a, a figure of speech. They really are. Listen to this. He, he is the ultimate temple. After all, we know that the temple is the place where God makes himself known to his people. And Jesus is God in the flesh, God with skin on. And so when Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, he is doing more than giving a sign to the temple authorities. You see, Jesus cleared out the temple with a whip made of cords and the words destroy this temple tell us that he used something more precious to cleanse us from sin. What kind of whip did they use on him? It wasn't cords. He allowed the authorities to abuse the temple of his body. They arrested him. They beat him. And then they nailed him to the cross. They did everything that they could to destroy the temple of his body. And in this way, he, he produced the cleansing agent that cleans away all of our sin. It's his precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. Jesus also said, in three days I will raise it up. This is the sign of the resurrection. It is in his resurrection from the dead that we have the sure and certain hope that our sins are gone. And as the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts, we know that Jesus has moved into us. And we are now the temples of God. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And Paul wrote again in uh, verse 17 1 Corinthians 3, 17, he wrote, God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. And again, there's a theme he writes in 1 Corinthians, this time in chapter 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? The God-man 
who took action to cleanse the temple made of stone has promised that he will purify his living temples. That's you. And just as he brought his temple back from the dead, so also will he come. In his time, he will come one day to raise all of our temples back to life. And on that day, he will give eternal life in both body and soul to all who believe in him. This is his promise. And which promises does he keep? In the name of Jesus. Amen.